Hello and welcome to the Keto Man's Club podcast. We're glad you're here, where each week we talk about men's health and lifestyle. We do so with the foundation of the ketogenic diet and lifestyle. If you don't know what keto is, stick around and you'll find out. The podcast will bring you real honest fun. Each week we strive to uncover the tips and tricks that you can use in your everyday life to maximize your overall health and find the clearest path to becoming the best version of yourself that you were meant to be. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Keto Man's Club Podcast. My name is Chris, and as always, I'm joined by Alberto and Jim. How's it going, Alberto? Oh, uh, doing all right, finally. finally. This, uh, yeah, I've had a really rough week and strange sicknesses, and I don't know, I'm not going to speculate as to what I may or may not have, because I don't know. I just know that I've been feeling off since Thursday, and I actually started feeling normal today, so time shall tell. Just going to keep doing what I do, and, and then mm-hmm. uh, hope I just... Start feeling better. I never felt terrible. I just didn't feel great. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, Jim, what's new? I'm in the same boat as Alberto, but socially mm-hmm. distanced. Yeah. It's just been a little bit of a rough week or so for mm. a number of people and a number of reasons. And I will be anxious for a weekend and a little bit of a reprieve. So I bet. I bet. We, in our chat amongst uh, the three of us, we've been encouraging you to take time off and you've been going, I can't. Uh, And we get it. We do. We get it. That's a hard thing. I've, I've been trying to take my down days as down as I can, but taking it down today meant trying to reduce the size of a massive pile of like 10 yards of uh, cubic yards of dirt that was delivered to our driveway this morning. I think I, that's called yardio. Yeah, of yeah, yardio. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Lots of and strength training because I'm using the big shovel, those big scooped uh, like snow snow type shovels. Mm-hmm. I'm using one of those. To, are you asking the guy from Indiana if he knows what a snow type shovel is? We ain't got none of them up here's none. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, that I, I've been using one of those to uh, try to reduce the time scooping. But the problem is where it's getting delivered. We, we have these garden beds that are, are raised concrete block rows that we've built. The problem is my wheelbarrow is a little bit lower than the top of the brick, the, the highest brick that we're going. So I can't just pop it up onto the brick and roll it up and, and whatnot and squat the wheelbarrow up into position and dump it. So I actually was sitting with the problem about midway through the day and, and taking a break, trying to get out of the, the 95 plus degree heat. And I thought, hey, wait, I have ramps that I used to use to do oil changes with my car. I bet I could use one of those to roll the wheelbarrow up onto with enough momentum and then dump from there. It actually worked. It was great. So I'll be making piles that way inside the rows, but we're focusing on fortifying the rows themselves. We've got the center block upright where we've got like columns that my wife will be able to plant in the in the actual hole that's there. And so we've been filling those with dirt first to fortify and strengthen them before we fill the main bed. And so... It's it's kind of going to be a big process, and we're going to try to move through it as fast as we can because with the hurricane that rain, that came through, we've actually got some rain, and we don't want all our dirt that's in the driveway to go, go away because yeah, of rain. Yeah, some rain being the key word. You notice yeah. that? Like, I'm sure you've noticed because you're probably watching the radar too. 
that like all these fronts come through and the minute they get anywhere near you and I, they oh, yeah. just completely just like, disappear boom. or split, go around us mm-hmm. and then come back together. <laughs> yeah, they'll split or they'll dump for five minutes and then it's done. And uh, and it won't even be dump hard. And it's just, yeah, it, it's, but that's Texas for you. And that's what no, that's we- Indiana. Also, we have an interstate <laughs> I-70 that runs mm-hmm. uh, east-west through the middle of the state and pretty much any good weather, like when you need rain and all that, is always north of 70. Mm-hmm. And always the, yeah, you get a sprinkle is always south of 70. So yeah. there is something in the world about all that. I totally agree. It's, uh, I'm pretty sure it's topographical. I'm in a, a floodplain, surprisingly. Um, we have, we're very low as far as that goes. And I think that there's a, something about how the, the, our, our altitude relative to the to where the clouds are is different and so it just doesn't cause the same pressure i don't know i'm theorizing i'm not a weatherman i know nothing well you're as but you play as one on tv oh, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> all the other weathermen are playing one on tv too they probably just have some type of a degree that says they might know something otherwise okay let's dive into our picks of the week let's start with alberto uh, i'm keeping mine very simple i mm-hmm. uh, just happened to Scroll across it today. Nick, I'm guessing it's Edie or Eddie. And uh, he said he made Texas Twinkies today. And they are some sort of jalapeno popper wrapped in bacon that look amazing. And anytime something's food related, it draws my attention. And they look really good and definitely a shout out worthy. Absolutely. I'm going to actually echo you on that. I'll step in real quickly and do mine. Anthony Leonard in the 101 group, he's got a got a flat top kind of like what you've got now. And he last week he did hibachi style cooking and and made keto cauliflower fried rice and and all of that. There at home it looks delicious and makes me hungry even though I've had uh, a good amount of beef today and and i shouldn't be hungry at all so <laughs> it, it looks good jim how about you first i kudos to alberto for his shout out because nick was actually i believe person number two in the keto man's club he and i <laughs> somehow connected through some random keto groups three four years ago and started talking that idea of starting the group came up and so i invited him and truly he's like in the first four or five people type thing. So he's been a long time keto guy. My shout out is to Eric Sletton. I don't know where Eric is from. He has his profile on lockdown, which is all good, but he has gone from 285 to 235. We are recording this at the end of July. His goal is to be at 200 or below by Christmas. And then the next milestone after that is 185, which he said is his high school weight when he was playing hockey and football. Now the dude, it's a face by or face to face kind of thing. You, he's got a full beard in the before picture, and he shaved that off to mustache goatee for the after. But you can totally see the jawline on this guy, which is just awesome. So kudos to Eric on his uh, 50 pound transformation. Very cool. Yeah, those types of trans- transformations, and sometimes us bearded guys, whenever we when we take off the full beard for the first time in a while, whether it be completely gone or reducing it down to a, a stash or a goatee, it, it is wow. This is very different than it used to be after losing a lot of weight. Because I know for me, 
part of the reason I ended up growing the beard the way that I did was because it was a way to hide how many chins I had. And so I'm glad that I don't have to do that as much now. Um, Some of us are a little bit more follically challenged on multiple <laughs> top sides, middle. You, we won't go that far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It, 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 I was a late bloomer in that regard. I didn't get my beard in, in good shape until my late 20s, I want to say. Like before that, all I could do is a goatee. Uh, there's yeah, still hope well, for you, Jim. There's still hope. <laughs> I'm 44. And if it's not going to happen at this point, I'm just going to, I'm going to do one of the great comb overs of all time that starts on one side of my head, comes down, wraps up into a cone at the chin, and comes back up and over. That's it's, yeah. Get growing on that. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> what um, I do every time I talk to you guys, just let it grow. Let it grow. <laughs> Very good. Okay, we do have a guest this week, but before we dig into the story that is Ryan and everything that he has to share with us, let's let's remind our listeners real quickly. It would help us a whole heck of a lot if you would go leave a comment on the podcast, either on Apple podcast or whatever platform that you're listening on, if it allows that. And if you listen to today's episode and find it beneficial, would you share that with someone that you think might also do it? We, we were talking before we started the recording and Ryan mentioned that part of his story involves some autoimmune stuff. And we, there's a lot of guys out there that are dealing with autoimmune issues or just general sickness that really may need the hope that can be the ketogenic diet to prognosis that for most medical practices are incurable, unsolvable. You're going to be on meds the rest of your life. And Alberto is a, a living proof that's not the case, but we're, we're going to hear from another other person today. So if someone listened with an open ear, he, listen to Ryan's story, and if you find value in it and think that others might, please share that, whether that be publicly or individually, please do. You can find ways to connect with our podcast by going to our website, theketomansclub.com. We have links to everything there, our, our socials, the Facebook groups, and everything else like that. Uh, the Facebook groups are growing by leaps and bounds still join in, jump in. If you're not a member already, make sure that if you're just getting started, go right over to the beginners group. That's really uh, going to be their best place because that's where you're going to be able to get advice and, and get started the way that you, you, you need, get that solid base, uh, that foundation to get started with this, this wonderful way of life. And that's really what this is. That's, that's something that I've heard and, and I've talked a lot about with, with friends lately is that this is a new way of life for them. And as such, they have been transitioning into it and finding uh, freedom in that. And that's so awesome to hear because it, that, it's been transformational for, for me and, and many others. And we want to see as many lives change as possible. Anyway, I've rambled on long enough. Ryan, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So let's just start out with the real basic stuff. Who are you? Where are you? What type of family are you in? Kind of give us some real basic stuff, some, some basic rundown stuff, and then we'll dive into the more specific stuff after that. Yeah, sure. My name's Ryan Fitzpatrick. I live in Rye, New York, which is about 10 miles north of the Bronx um, in Westchester County. Most known for, uh, there's an amusement park here called Playland. You might've seen it in the movie Big. 
um, where Tom Hanks is on the on the boardwalk playing the Zoltar game at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. That's filmed in Rye. That's about the big claim to fame here. Also, I believe Barbara Bush lived here, Amelia Earhart, and Flea. So, you know, that those guys all go together, right? <laughs> they do now. <laughs> yeah, no, I've I've got a family, my wife, two kids, 12 and a boy 12 named Gavin, daughter Reese who's 9. Gavin is into football, baseball, basketball, rugby. My daughter does dance and swimming and soccer. And they're active kids and luckily so far fairly well behaved. We'll see what happens in a couple of years when they turn into aliens. <laughs> That's every parent's issue, right? <laughs> For work, I'm the chief operating officer at Willis Re Securities, which is a global investment bank, for lack of a better term, who's focused primarily on placing and issuing catastrophe bonds. So that would be things that cover hurricanes for you guys in the Midwest and in Texas, a severe convective storm, or you guys would call them tornadoes, earthquake, pandemic, wildfire, anything that's four horsemen type stuff. We issue bonds for to cover mainly insurance companies or corporate entities. So I've been doing that for... Oh, since 2013. And before that, I've been in finance since for the last 20, you know, five years or so. Worked at different financial institutions like Credit Suisse, UBS, Citigroup, TD Waterhouse back in the day before it became TD Ameritrade. And from there, in my spare time, I really, most of my life, I played rugby. I know Ralph, who you guys had on. And he's the one who actually turned me on to the group. Nice. Kudos to Ralph. Very good. Tell us about health growing up. We'll, we'll transition into the, the health side of things. What, you know, growing up, were you active and healthy or, or what was going on with all that? Yeah, so I was I was an active and healthy kid. I was always, I was usually on the, the heavier side. I played football, the sports that I played up through high school, and, and I played at a fairly competitive program in high school where we had some guys who were on the teams that I were on go pro, and they played Division One colleges and all that good stuff. I, I played football. I wrestled growing up. I played baseball, some basketball. I'm not really great at it. I was always an active kid on Saturday and Sunday, be on the bike with my buddies and just riding around all day until the lights came on and then it's time to go home. So that was that was basically my childhood. Always with a ball or something in our hands, doing something or on our bikes. Yeah, it's funny. Like my childhood was exactly the same. It was one of those things where it's you just woke up in the morning, ate your big giant bowl of cereal, hopped on your bike and hit the road and then Maybe came home for lunch just quick enough to wolf something down and hit, get on your bike and hit the road. Then as soon as the sun started going down, you knew it was a time to get back home before you got in trouble. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll tell you what's, what's really great. Let me – hold on. Let me back up a second. What's interesting, I should say, is that during COVID, you went from a situation where my 12-year-old was never, ever doing any of that. And then during – now during this – 
lockdown pandemic, whatever you want to call it. He and his friends now have reverted back to what we were doing, whereas he's I'm going out and I'm on a work call and he's just walking out the door on his bike and grabbing his bike and going. And I have no idea where he's going, which is great, but that's not the way it was, call it last year where he was like, I, he's scheduled, I've got to go to this practice. I've got to be at this practice. I've got a game at this time. And then I was basically a sports Uber for both my kids last year. And this year it's a little more back to even my nine-year-old will go down around the corner on their bike and, and go over to her friend's house, which is a far cry from the, the state of play that was probably was, was six months ago. Yeah, yeah, that's that's understandable. It's it's and uh, I must I must say, uh, wait before we go any further. How long has your nine year old been riding on two wheels? Um, <laughs> uh, she's been about a year and a half or so. Yeah, see, I mean, my daughter listens to this. Listen to that, Samara, year and a half. Not like four months ago when you decided you finally wanted to tackle it yourself. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think that's the thing is that there wasn't a need to because there was no social pressure from the other kids, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that was, and it was funny because I've talked about it before where she outgrew her bike and we just happened to be going to Walmart for something. I'm like, come here, I got to show you something and drag her by the bikes. I'm like, this is the size of your bike now. Now I'm going to look this next row. These are the next size up. I'm like, you see something these bikes don't have? And she just looks at me, she's like training wheels. I'm like, you got to get on it, kid. If you want another bike, like you've got, you've got it. They don't come with training wheels anymore. You just, you just got to rock with it. And then so like we, uh, like I said before, she caught a video of her cousin riding on two wheels, and that day she decided she was going to ride on two wheels. And lo and behold, a few hours later, she was off all by herself. <laughs> yeah, and that's the whole thing. It's just they want to. And, and I would say that about all, most kids' sports is that it 90% of it is confidence until they get until they hit puberty and then the talent really starts to come out. Granted, at the younger ages, you have kids that are better than other kids that have more skill understood. A huge portion of it is just confidence. And the kids have confidence, then they can keep pace with even the better kids. So were you a confident kid? Because you said you were doing all these sports and everything and, and active and healthy. But um, you were a bigger kid, too, you mentioned. So in, obviously in football, I did well. In baseball, I did well. But I, I'll be honest, I didn't really put it. I didn't really put sports together as being a, a, a better athlete until until I hit puberty, until I was in seventh and eighth grade. I'm a bigger guy. So which, which you know, let's pause there. What does that mean? So I, I will say I was close to six, four, but after the years of rugby, I'm, I'm just shy of six, three right now. So I lost about a half inch due to all the scrummaging that I went through where my, I actually got a little shorter, you know, I'm about 275 at present. But when I was in the best shape of my life, I was carrying about 270, where I was, I would never say I was ripped, but I would be what you would call, I was in shape and just big and strong, for sure. Okay. Yep. And and when I get to what happened over the years and how I came back down and and the yo-yo that occurred, you'll and where I am and what my mindset is right now. So we got you through puberty, you played sports in high school and whatnot. So then 
you get out yep. of high school, what happens next? So I, I, I left high school. I went to uh, college at Western New England, which now Western New England University. I was going to play football there. I went to the first two practices and was just like, this is not for me. I came from a, a very good football program in New Jersey um, that is nationally ranked now. It's in that like super national schedule. Bergen Catholic, where Brian Cushing, f- for you Texas guys, play, uh, came out of there, went to USC. Mark DeRosa, who played on the Cubs was a sophomore when I was uh, a senior, and you had Eric Lane, who ended up who played for Tennessee, the Giants, and the Falcons. Where he was, he was our halfback when I was there. We had a, a couple other guys who played D one, and and there are other guys who were seniors when I was freshman that are now coaches in the NFL and well regarded. So it, it, it was a sports factory. I, I played there, left, came from a program that was a winning program knew what winning was, went to the the college and went to two practices and was like, this is just not for me. I'm not going to see the field for two years. And these guys don't know how to actually get it done. And it didn't make sense to me. So I went and I started playing rugby and I played rugby all through college until I was 38 years old. And that's when RA reared its ugly head with me. So probably... During around 2005 is when I started showing symptoms, but I didn't realize it where I would, an RA rheumatoid arthritis. I, would, I was about to ask. Yeah. I would leave practice. I would, I would go home and my hips would be like, would be locked up and I'd be like, Oh, I got a hip pointer. I'll stretch it out and, and, and so forth and so on. But it wasn't, just a hip pointer. And one season I started running with a limp. No idea why I ran with a limp. So I went to the doctor, did the orthopedist thing. Says, yeah, you have some minor osteoarthritis, but nothing to be concerned about. Did a microfracture surgery to try and stem it. A bunch of different issues looked at. There was always something wrong and, and just dealt with them. But then when I was about 2008, let's call it seven or eight, I was, I had moved from, I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey, and I moved to the Jersey shore and I switched rugby clubs and I was playing for a different one. And there was just a point in time where I was going to the gym regularly on a bike or the elliptical or trying to run on the treadmill and my body wasn't moving fast enough to get my heart rate into the red zone where I just couldn't get my joints to work in the way that I wanted them to work in order to get my heart rate spiked. And I couldn't get my heart rate to where I wanted to get it. So I thought, oh, it's just a matter of me getting old. And it's a matter of my joints being abused for so many years. This is that this is what it is. And so I started swimming and I started running in the pool. And even still, I couldn't get to the point where I was cardiovascularly fit enough to play well on the rugby field. So 2008, uh, 2009, I I said, look, I, I can't play at that 
level. The coach was already looking to pass me by. I was about 38 or so. Put in some younger guys, which rightly he should because I wasn't playing well. And and so at that point, 2010, we actually moved and I stopped playing rugby at that point. In 2013, I... Sorry, 2011... I decided that I was going to make the switch to triathlons because, of course, I can just do triathlons at that point. Uh, I trained for one, ran an Olympic, enjoyed really the swimming and the training, but hated the actual race. Did that in 2011, and I had a moderate, moderately successful time. I was under four hours, which was fine for me. At that point, I was like, okay, fine. It's my first one. Okay. So the next year it comes again. It's in town. It's great. It's an Olympic. I start training. I'm training. And my times are getting worse and worse. And I'm putting in more effort. And I can't get my cardio to spike. I can't ride the bike. I can't get to the 20 you know, mile an hour mark on the bike sustained uh, for a period of time. And I start saying, okay, there's something wrong. You know, unfortunately, or fortunately, my mother-in-law during that time was diagnosed with lupus. And my wife had suggested that I go and I see her doctor to see if I have, if there's some autoimmune issue with what was going on. I went in to see Dr. Dr. Berman at the Hospital of Special Surgery, who is a fantastic doctor. And it's no other doctor I've ever been to in my life where I was literally in her office for two and a half hours. And she sat me down and went through everything in my life, all the breaks, all the injuries, all of the different, all the different things in my life that have occurred. And by the end of it is you have rheumatoid arthritis and we're going to give you a blood test, but it really doesn't matter what the blood test shows because you have it and you may have something called psoriac arthritis as well, but it doesn't matter because we would treat it the same way. So I left there 2012 and I was like, okay, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Great. She's going to give me some medicine and I'm going to be fixed. That wasn't the case. So I've been taking Enbrel from that point, which is which is an, an immune system inhibitor. Basically, it slows down my immune system. So I am immune compromised in the current world. Everybody's like, your comorbidities and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, I, I have an issue and it's fine. And I've been taking Enbrel since then. And in 2013, I tried to play, or it was really 2012, I tried to play rugby again at the end of 2012 in the fall, didn't work out. And then I started coaching a team in 2013, um, as opposed to playing, I started coaching. And then from, and then 2014, I, I ended up starting a youth rugby program here in our city, in our town. And we've had some great success there, growing the sport from that. But now what happened from 2013 to present, I've been looking at alternatives to what the Enbrel was doing because it didn't 
necessarily get the job done. I was going through what I would call phases of the drug would work great. And then I would have what they call flares, where I'd be knocked on my butt. It was tied to weather. What I thought was the predominant one was weather. And you would see when there's a delta or change in uh, humidity, I would be affected. So example would be yesterday I woke up and just I didn't feel myself and I couldn't get my gears going mentally. It was like a fo- like almost like a keto fog that you would get, but it was because of the weather change. Or you'll get situations where you can't close your hands all the way. There's pain in your joints. You feel it's like the worst flu you've ever had type of feeling. So that will happen from time to time, even though you're on this high-powered drug. And the issue for me was, let me try some of the other things that are out there. And I have a friend who I grew up with. Her name is uh, Deb. Deb was diagnosed with lupus and a couple other autoimmune issues. And And she's actually pretty funny. She says, I always wanted to be, I always wanted to be called fascinating by a man. I just didn't want it to be my rheumatologist. And uh, (laughs) autoimmune jokes are the best jokes. (laughs) But before we get too far ahead, like just give us the very broad overview of of RA, like in your words, so explain it to people who might have no idea what it is. Just, just break it down for us real quick. So sure. So RA is an autoimmune disease where you're in short, in layman's terms, your, my immune system is overactive and it is attacking, um, basically the, there's like a, a thin layer of tissue in your joints. And for whatever reason, my immune system is attacking the, that tissue. And so it causes swelling. And if you happen to Google RA feet or toes or RA fingers, you'll see that it causes causes massive, call it malformation of the joints. And so there are times when I, uh, if I was writing and I had a bad flare, I would have to stop, shake my hand out, pick up the pen again, because I couldn't necessarily grasp the pen. And so it can impact you where like the test, when you go to the doctor or the forms you fill out, they're like, can you button your shirt? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I'm like, well, I feel great about myself because I can do all of this stuff, people that can't. And, and I'm like, I'm happy that I'm not there. But at the same time, I'm like, wow, that could be my future unless I start doing some proactive stuff. And that was my mindset was how do I? And so I was always pinging my doctor who has the patience of a saint. Oh, I see that there's this new, you know, study that's going on where they're like shooting electric shock down people's neck to stop the RA. Can I get involved? Can I try this? Because I just want to make sure that I'm trying to do most I can to solve this. And and I don't think, and, and when I say solve it, that's not the right answer. The right answer is to not be in pain. That's, yeah. that's the to, goal. To, um, to manage it. Mm-hmm. Just, I just don't want to be in pain. And that's my mindset. Right. I, I don't want to be in pain anymore. I don't want to feel terrible because it becomes very depressing very quickly. When you sit there and you're like, I have to live the rest of my life with this. Like it, you go two days in a flare and, and you're like, I don't know if I can do this. And, and it's really, it's miserable. 
Yes, um, that's it. And so anyway, so Deb had tar- turned me on to the concept of leaky gut. And so this was probably my first run through of keto. Like I've he- I had heard of the Atkins diet back in the day, like in the 90s, it was like the rage and I, I dabbled with it. And then like I looked at this as okay. And I had done some IF before keto. This was my first time. So I was like, okay, leaky gut is this concept that if your gut isn't healthy, then it's causing that it's leaking into the rest of your system. And you, that's what's causing your immune system to attack the joints because it's there's something in the system we have to just attack anything we don't recognize. So that's the concept in layman's terms. So there's a whole bone broth product uh, protocol, and I went through. I, I think I did a, a standard process cleanse to start, and then I did I did a keto version of it, and then I moved into paleo. I completely removed gluten from my diet and, and I felt okay and I felt good. But then all of a sudden, wham, got hit with a flare. And I was like, oh, it got pretty depressing. And then I gave up for a while. And then last year uh, or 2019, I was actually listening to um, a Joe Rogan podcast and they had this, they had the Jordan Peterson on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys know who he yeah, is, but yep. Yeah, so he was on, and he was talking about how he was um, doing keto. And the reason why he was doing it was because his daughter had rheumatoid arthritis and a severe case of it. And she was, and, and this is what was able to get her back from being in a situation where she was absolutely miserable, nothing was working, and she was taking the same drugs I was taking. And I was like, okay, if it's working for her, then I have to give it a try. So I started down the path and I started doing, I started in about November where I was, you know, going hard on keto. I, I was probably doing it earlier than that. I probably did it. No, I'm sorry. It was 2018. I did it for about six months and I was doing it in a way that wasn't sustainable for me because it was about, I was measuring my grams I was peeing on sticks. I was looking at all this different stuff and I'm trying to calculate and I'm reading labels and I'm doing all that kind of stuff. And that's just not going to ever work for me, especially when I've got a house full of kids. They've got the kids here. They've got their crap food. I'm making them food. And then the next thing, like I'm having chicken nuggets and fries for dinner. <laughs> My right? wife has a chocolate cake sitting on our kitchen <laughs> table right now. I know it's delicious, but I will not even <laughs> right. tempt myself to even take one bite of it because I know I won't be able to stop. But going through all of that, that the mechanism of measuring and weighing and looking and doing all this stuff to me, made it un- not sustainable. So I had done that in 2018. A uh, year goes by, and I took another crack at it, where I was like, okay, I'm going to do this my way. And what I started doing was, I was like, look, I don't care if I get my macros. I know that I have to be under 45 total carbs for the day. I don't care how much fat I I will have a bullet coffee in the morning and I will do IF from 8 p.m. till noon every day. And that's the way it's going to work for me. And if I need to eat something, 
it's going to be an animal protein and because because of work i was traveling a bunch where i was going to the uk and to amsterdam and traveling to these different places and i was like look i have to be able to go out to dinner eat in a restaurant and understand and keep myself to the point where i'm still on track but i'm not sitting there pulling out and say can you take this off can you take this off it's way easier to say give me a steak thanks <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and that's what it, what it had to be for me was just eat animal protein. So I'm almost carnivore, except for, for the occasional almond here and there, the occasional broccoli, and maybe a, a Mick Ultra after I play tennis now and again. Very cool. Yes, sir. So it, it sounds like you're getting your protocol down. You've you've got your your you've got. Some of, if not most of, your health back. You do you still have the occasional flare-up at this point? It is, I do, but it's much more muted. Yeah, I would say that the keto lifestyle diet, whatever you mm. want to call it, has definitely helped. In that, I do occasionally get a flare, mm-hmm. but instead of having a flare for a week, I have it for a day. Yeah, um, and it's far less. Then where it's, I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, I'm stiff today, as opposed to being like, I can't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And then I can't, like, it just, I can't work. How am I going to do this? Like, my brain isn't functioning. So it, it's a way different feel than what it was. And, and real quick, like, when you feel one coming on, are you able to, like, backtrack and, and figure out what caused it? Or are yours completely at random? Because, you so, know, with, with stomach issues... It's not not like you're not going to know exactly what caused it, but you, you look back in your head and you'll be able to get a general idea. Okay, this was the time of my life. A couple of weeks ago, something I wasn't eating. I was out of town or something along those lines. So I can tell you a couple of things that are interesting. That over the last couple of years, I've been not keeping a log, but definitely looking at what I'm doing. And that's how I got to where I am, where I know that weather is definitely a component of it. It definitely affects me, and there's nothing I can do about that. And, and it's weird. It's not, it, it's not, it, it's just, oh, it's super hot, so I'm going to feel terrible. It's, if it's super hot and humid, it can be that way, but, it's, but as soon as it changes, that's when I feel bad. And it can be really cold, and I don't feel terrible. And then when it changes, that's, I feel uh... the, the, the shift. <laughs> Like it's either a barometric pressure deal or it's the humidity. I don't know what it is, but it's something along those lines. So more environmental uh, things than necessarily dietary things. No, that I no, that's one of the things that one of the things. <laughs> impacts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The other, the, I definitely will say that if I eat carbs, mm-hmm. and I've become since I haven't been eating carbs, I'm definitely more sensitive to carbs. So. If I have if I have carb too many carbs, like I, I might feel a little something. But if I go off, right, for whatever reason, if I just sure. go off and have 120 carbs for the day, I will feel it the next morning. Sure. There is no question about it. One of the things that over time I've come to realize is that like dark beer really will impact me mm-hmm. in a negative way and this is before i was doing keto yeah this is just an ra thing that, that is I- interesting the exact same thing with me 
I got buddies who are master brewers. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll take a sip. They'll, they'll brew something. I'll always taste what they brew because they're, they're my friends and this is what they do. And I usually just take a little tiny sip and I'm good. But the darker the beer, the worse the reaction I get the next day. And I had it to the point where, this was years ago, where I actually drank like a whole beer, which is not that big of a deal in most cases. But I kid you not, a few hours later, I had 100% food poisoning systems that did not go away for almost 24 hours. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. And to the point where I, I actually, this is before I was doing keto, I told my, and like I said, my doctor has the patience of a saint. I was like, look, this is what happened. I drank, I actually was drinking some porter that I had picked up at the supermarket and I had two or three of them. And the next day I felt miserable. I'm like, there has to, is there a study that does this? If not, this would be a great study to do to show the effects of dark beer or dark wheats on the body related to RA. And obviously yeah. she thought I was a lunatic and went about her, you know, being a scientist. I, I think there's a lot to that where we no, have to we do have these to- in, uh, in equals one experimentations to find these little things that that affect us in one way or another. I can say for a fact that after doing in one in, in equals one experience or experiments on myself when I was using the uh, continuous glucose monitor, I know that I have a pretty severe insulin spike whenever i have the quote-unquote low carb protein bars because they are using that modified starch whatever it is to, mm-hmm. as their as their flour substitute that is enough to cause a glucose spike in me which obviously probably has a, a corresponding insulin spike and to try to manage it and now the good thing that i saw was it recovered fairly quickly from it but it told me that my occasional dependence on those whenever I was eating one or two a day for there for a little bit was not only expensive, but it was also not good for me. And so we need that information. We need to experiment. Now, I want to circle back to whenever you ha- were feeling the pressure, you ended up doing the coaching and things like that. But you, you had to give up this thing that you love to be active in. You weren't able to do be as active in the other things. The marathoning wasn't going as well. <laughs> that was never going to be sustainable. Yeah. <laughs> so what, I agree with you there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What What was that like psychologically for you? What did you deal with depression as a result of that? It, or it definitely it was hard. It was hard because it's it, so the game itself is a lot different than other sports in that it is a very social game mm-hmm. in that. The, we used to go out, we used to play on Saturday. Then we would go afterwards and each team you'd have a party where like you'd invite the other team. We'd have beers and food out for them back at our bar. Mm-hmm. And, and then we would be with our team there for a couple hours and then we would leave all get dressed and then go out all together. So you, we were going out with 25 guys together every Saturday night. And then some, you know, nights it would be like a Thursday after practice. So we'd practice Tuesday and Thursdays. We'd go out, uh, we'd go practice, leave practice, and we'd go straight to the bar with 10 guys, 15 guys. 
and be stinking and drinking. Meanwhile, everybody's all dressed up trying to impress people, and we're in the corner just hanging out with each other. <laughs> so uh, it's a it, it's a, it's a different kind of game where it's not just about necessarily the sport is a fantastic sport. It's a great sport. It's the best sport I've ever played. But it also one of the things that makes it amazing is the people that you meet and there are and there are a lot of great people they're not all great but there are a lot of great people uh that you meet along the way and and they're still some of my best friends so when you take that out of someone who's been doing it Mm -hmm. for 20 years it 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 was not an easy transition yeah that's that's kind of what i anticipated because i did know i've never been on that type of team but i did know uh by reputation that as rugby and and soccer clubs and and things like that they're like really intense you're like in there's a lot of physical trust that you have to have with your teammates whenever you're brawling over a ball like that whether they're on your team or, or the opponent's team you get really close with everybody involved and i know for myself whether it be my schedule or something whenever i'm not able to be around my crew that affects me so let's ask the follow-up to that how have you tried to compensate for that or being a man being having a family things like that what what have you done to foster and try to help yourself maintain and avoid having future issues so we've so so the crew that I have been doing the youth rugby with, they're all rugby guys, right? It's not like you're not going to get someone who's involved with the club who is someone that doesn't know the, the culture to a degree. And we're all, in a way, our kids are all playing. But at the same time, we're also looking for that kind of rugby club experience to to a degree. And we hang out and we talk. During the pandemic, my old club was having a, a Zoom call for the old boys like myself where we were getting on there and basically just making fun of each other for two hours but that type of stuff works and then my wife and i belong to a beach and tennis club and i've got a a group of guys there that i regularly play tennis with i'm playing four days a week now and we are we also started picking up lawn bowling just because the club Mm -hmm. offers it and we figure that give us a year and we could beat these guys who are 90 years old for the <laughs> or we'll play the long game and eventually we'll be the best because <laughs> they won't be around <laughs> oh man that's hilarious so what would you say was the thing that surprised you the most when you started leaning into keto and, and started reaping benefits from it I think the thing that surprised me the most about keto itself was the the number of products that are actually out there that are they claim to be keto. Now, some of them I've used and I liked. Others of them I don't believe that they're keto. And so what I've generally done is said, eh, unless it grows out of the ground or walks on two leg uh, four legs or two legs, I really don't want it. And and I try not to do that. And I've actually gone to the point where I'm a, a, I would call myself a novice hunter at this point, where I've had moderate success for the last four or five years, and I'm getting more and more into hunting. And I think that from a keto perspective, there's nothing better than free range grass fed venison. Or I went on a hog hunt with, with my uncle and my cousins and took, took down a, a large hog. From that perspective, 
I am trying to stay away from anything processed whatsoever, regardless of whether it says keto, organic, any of it, because I just, I, I just see that there's, it's just rife for being manipulated and not doing what I need to do because my overall goal right now, and and I'm sure we'll come back to this is not weight loss right now, although that is occurring, Mm -hmm. but my overall goal is to not feel terrible. And that is, that's my motivation is to keep at bay the pain. And so I'm eating for that. And every day that I do that and the supplements I take, all of them are geared towards anti-inflammatory. So what you, what your experience has been, it, it seems like you, you are definitely bearing the hallmarks of a success story in, in this. So you've taken control of this health condition and you're not taking any prisoners as a result. Uh, and that's great. What resources do you find have helped you the most to find uh, what is truly keto, what what has been helpful, what's whether it be a website, a book, that type of thing? Yeah, initially Ralph was was great at pointing to different things to read and got me involved in this group. And then he, he told me to look at keto gains. I was doing a five by five workout for a while. And then what happened was I ran out of weights. So I only had 285 pounds of free weights and that just wasn't enough. So I started adding sets, uh, adding, adding reps and then adding sets and it's modified and morphed into something else. But it's still Olympic lifts only. The The thing that I found, I like the keto. I like you guys more than the, the keto gains guys because I think they're a little bit aggressive. And I think that they're not, their head isn't in the right place because it's really about trying to help other people get there because not everybody is a one size fits all type of thing. And, and I found that out from my experience is that like, look, that's great that you tell me I can eat. I can eat lobster if I if I want, but I know that I might have a reaction to shellfish if I'm eating other things alongside of it, and that's what I have to manage. And it's not just a this is keto, it's good. It's mm-hmm. like ah, it doesn't really work that way. Or you should have 35 carbs, or you should have 25 carbs, and it should be net carbs. And I'm like, ah, I don't know, man, that's not working for me. I need to yeah. just dial in on total carbs. Gotcha. So what are your current macros and what supplements are you taking? So my macros generally are, I don't want to be over 45 total carbs for the day. That's a good number. Yep. Um, I don't do the net carb thing. I just, I'd run in my head like, okay. This has this many carbs. And the great thing is steak has zero carbs. You ain't lying about that, man. <laughs> so that's, an, it's an e- that's easy for me. So today, my lunch was actually was steak, and my dinner was a steak. And that was it. Yeah, for lunch, I had beef. And for dinner, I had more beef. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hamburger and steak. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's not a bad way to go about things. No, not no, at all. It, it was easy. But for, as far as supplements, the morning I take apple cider vinegar. I, I do uh, like uh, water and apple cider vi- vinegar. I take trans resveratrol. 
and that's anti-inflammatory and also decent for the heart. Thinking that there is a history of congestive heart failure in my family, so trying to uh, protect the heart is always something that uh, is in the back of my head. Ashwagandha, Asha, I can't say Ashwagandha root powder that blocks cortisol. Cortisol, if as block, inhibits testosterone, yeah. and so we need testosterone, mm-hmm. especially if we're working out and, and trying to add some muscle to burn fat. Yeah, I believe um, it's pronounced ashwagandha. Uh, that that okay. stuff right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah, and then I take uh, for before bed, I take five uh, HTP. And I take some CBD oil that actually my buddy owns a uh, farm called Upstate here in New York. And uh, I've been taking that for bed as well. Very cool. Now, is that CBD that you're getting, is that hemp-based or is that uh, actually cannabis-based? That is uh, hemp-based. Okay. New Uh, York, we cannot have cannabis-based. Same in Texas, unfortunately. Uh, I've heard, not just heard. I'm the editor for Fat Fuel Family, and they did a, like a month on cannabinoids and cannabis uh, products, and and they did a, a, a they did talk a lot about how the the balance of CBD versus HTC and all of that type of stuff, and how CBD generally this isn't always the case, but CBD that's that is derived from a hemp product is actually like one tenth as effective because it only has one tenth the cannabinoids in it that the HTC based or the actual cannabinoid based CBD is is capable of holding. So it was an interesting thing to to learn all of that. And unfortunately, yes, we live in a state that we can't order those products. Yeah. But I will say this that it just mellows me out. Yeah. So yeah. that and the five HTB in combination work fantastic. Very cool. And, and the five HTP is great because it it helps fire all the, what's it, the, um, uh, my, I'm having a brain cramp here. We'll come back to it. But okay. it's all the, all the stuff that makes you, you know, feel better about yourself. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the happy hormones. Okay. So that's awesome. It sounds like you you found the right regiment for you on all of yeah. that. I was trying to do creatine. Yeah. And, and I, I. I, I, yeah, the endorphins. That's right. I, I tried to I tried to do creatine, and it just didn't. Mm. It wasn't a good fit for me. Yeah, I just didn't have a good reaction to it. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of different things that can be done, and a lot of different supplements. And we all have to find what what works for us. And yeah, I have my few pills that I take now. Most of my supplements that I'm doing are are specifically based off of my blood work, and so I'm a huge advocate for if you can get a doc that will order you extensive blood work and your health insurance will cover it, get it because it's very helpful. I'm able to get my vitamin D levels. I'm able to get my vitamin B levels and know how much I'm, how much I'm doing. My doc this last time said, back off the D a little bit. You're, you're a little high on that. (laughs) I don't need 20,000 IU a day, apparently. Uh, (laughs) So uh, it it is one of those things that we all have to find out what's working for us. And if you can get uh, hard numbers on, that's really helpful with some of those things. Yeah, for sure. And I'm on a TRT regiment, which allows me that six month every six month blood work, so I I can dial things in pretty easily with all of that. Okay, let's see. I we have one last question. We always ask it. The answer can't be steak. So I know that you've had steak twice today, but. Other than steak, what is your favorite keto meal? Oh, it's got to be sashimi. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, at Shashimi. Uh, so I, I was in Japan in 2002 for a little bit, and I, I, I the proper sashimi is fantastic. I can totally imagine that, and the fact is, it's protein, and there's nothing else yeah. to it. That's pretty much it. Yep. Yeah. And it's not chicken. And it's not chicken, which I'm going to go on record, and I'm going to rat on Alberto. He he made some chicken this last week because it's what the HEB gave him on their their order, and he said he liked it. I did, but did you see that? <laughs> did you see that chicken? Yes, it looked freaking good. <laughs> yes, and you know what's funny is like I cooked all the random stuff that I cook. Chicken still freaks me out because I don't cook it enough to be comfortable with it. <laughs> and I'm always like, my daughters are going to eat it. And I'm like, cut into it first. Let me see. I need to take a look at the inside. Mm-hmm. Whereas like any other meat, like I know when it's good, mm-hmm. I know when it's ready, but chicken, I was still super apprehensive about. Yeah. But then again, it has the worst uh, consequences if you get it wrong mm-hmm. too. So yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a great trick with uh, chicken, right? Uh, so the way I cook chicken is that I will sear the out. So first I, I let it marinate overnight in uh, with lemon. My father-in-law's, uh, my wife's Peruvian, so my in-laws have taught me the secrets of Peruvian-style chicken. And uh, the key is you, you wash the chicken with a, a lemon. Why? I don't know. They just what they tell you to do. <laughs> you throw more garlic on than you think you could possibly use, Italian dressing, and salt and pepper, and you let it sit overnight. And then you fire up the grill super hot. Sear the outside of both of them, and then turn you know on both sides. Sear it. And then turn it down to super low. And then you just let it sit there, nice and slow cook. So you've seared all the juice in. And then if it's a chicken leg, the key to knowing when it's done is the the end of the, the bone. The skin will start crawling up the bone. And ah, it will be exposed. Okay. okay. And I know exactly like, what you're talking about. Because I had one mm-hmm. or two of my chicken quarters come out like that. Yep. Yeah. And, and, the, and then... That way, it's once it starts firming up, then you start looking at it, and you know, it, and you can tell by how firm it is whether it's done or not. Nice, I took notes. Yeah, absolutely. That's a uh, a great tip. Okay, how can people connect with you online? Whether it be just in the Facebook group or on Instagram? Yeah, sure. I really don't use Instagram, although I do have an account. Facebook is probably the the easiest, which would be I'm in the keto group. My uh, handle, I guess you'd say, is Ryan Edward. It's my first name, middle name. And then if you want to find me on LinkedIn, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I'm at Willis Resecurities. Very cool. Jim had some technical issues about halfway through with his audio. So he's been here, but he's in the background kind of just uh, yeah. listening in, taking notes and all that type of stuff. He, he, it's not that he didn't like your conversation. <laughs> we, yeah, no worries. Yeah, no we were worries. just just rolling with it. Uh, a reminder to our listeners, if you would, if you found this conversation helpful or think that it might be helpful for someone, please share it. Also, if you, again, uh, if you'll take the, the time to go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, we would forever be in your debt because uh, we want to get the, the the word out and help share these stories of, of victory uh, uh, yeah. against sickness and, and uh, prognosis that people would say that you're just going to have to live with. And... Uh, we just know that it doesn't have to be that way. We want to get that word yeah. out. Definitely share that out as best as you can. Help the engines put us in front of people. Check out our webpage again, theketomansclub.com. You can get our social links for Alberto, Jim, and I, and our podcast, all the different ways to connect with us there. You can email us 
at kiddomansclubpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also leave us a voicemail or send us a text for that matter at 512-518-6161. So you've got plenty of ways to get in contact with us. uh, And we'd love to hear from you in any way that you choose. All of that being said, that's it for this week. Until next week, make sure to eat meat, lift heavy, sleep, and repeat. Thank you for joining us for the Keto Man's Club podcast. Your support means the world to us. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Would you help us spread the word about the Keto Man's Club by sharing with your friends and family? We're available on all podcast platforms, so just search for Keto Man's Club and you'll find us. If you would like to connect with us, you can do a number of ways. Our web address leads to our Facebook group, theketomansclub.com. That's T H E K E T O. M-A-N-S-C-L-U-B dot com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Keto Man's Club Podcast. Lastly, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out via email to Keto Man's Club Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to hanging out with you again next week.